0: It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Hey Chris. Hey Andrew.
1: How's it going?
0: It's going good.
1: Well, it's going okay for me. Um I had an experience tonight which um I was oddly prepared for after two decades of having a a writing career where I write opinionated pieces and people give me feedback about it feedback. <laughs> I spent like a big part of the afternoon like making some what I thought was a pretty sweet dinner and um the entire dinner my two wonderful daughters told me how much they fucking hated it and uh didn't eat a bite of it and it occurred to me that this is like a very similar parallel to uh, my entire writing career (laughs) so um i was oddly oddly prepared for this moment of parenthood um in which you spend all day making delicious food and your fucking three-year-old hates it but they will drink bath water Absolutely. <laughs> bathwater's good. Yeah. Uh, Miles
0: drinks the hot tub water. <laughs> yeah.
1: And if it's gross, it's good, but uh good food is not good. So that's the world I'm living in right now.
0: You know, I said, I said good when you said, how's it gone? And it's going good now, but today was a hard day. Um, I've been dealing with uh car problems, kind of overextended myself. I took the engine out of our, our, uh, lexus gx470 which is essentially a forerunner um for those of you who want to c- call me out for being some sort of bourgeois suv driver well, we you inherited got this car it. for free so, yeah yeah we also inherited it but blew a head gasket so i took the engine out to swap it and then i decided not to swap it and to fix it and everything's been going great um but today i i had a hard day um underneath the car getting things hooked back up contemplating just how many hours i've put into this bullshit yeah now you're
1: you're just to be clear you have no professional mechanical training whatsoever
0: no i don't not professional no but i've 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 gone this far before but uh this one's been a little bit rough well it was it was fine until today today was like the nadir of the of the project i was up i was upset i was you know, we live in a nice little cul-de-sac with nice people around. And I was yelling swear words from out underneath the car and kind of the classic like dude thing where I was just like, fuck this. And I threw some (laughs) shit at the wall and I upset my, my partner. Um, actually I can call her my wife now we're married. Um, I upset my wife. Congratulations on that. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. And so, you know, but I got past it. Um, I should, to start it tomorrow and see if it if all this trouble was worth it or well, if it just blows up and melts down at which point i will be do you remember that, like the classic like mental hospital image where someone's in a like a padded room with a straitjacket? <laughs> that was you <laughs> and that will, will be, be you yeah. if the fucking engine just like blows up because i like got the timing backwards or something like that but
1: yeah you don't own any guns do you
0: I do actually.
1: (laughs) Okay, you might want to lock those away tonight. (laughs) They are locked away. Okay, good.
0: (laughs) I have a child.
1: Yeah, when most people say they have car trouble, you know, it evokes like a a far different image than the one you've just described here, which is replacing a head gasket and taking all the pistons out of your engine and having them planed and cleaned and
0: all the work that you've put into this. Well, Well, you know, you and I had a you had you and I had a, a car adventure in Indian Creek, actually, where you're you're truck started uh missing a piston um and we managed to diagnose and fix your car trouble in moab at like nine o'clock at night and get back on the road so that was
1: pretty amazing it was pretty Um, amazing yeah just to tell a, a long story short um we we were coming out of the creek My truck, which I had just dumped a lot of money into getting a timing chain replaced, it's got 240,000 miles on it. So it's got a high mileage truck. Put in all this work or, you know, money into fixing a bunch of leaks and the rear seal and the, you know, the timing chain and all this stuff. And we're driving up that steep road right out of the creek, towing a little camper behind us and the engines like check engine light comes on and the truck just like dies of, with no power, basically it's can barely mm-hmm. make it up this hill. And I'm just like, Oh fuck. Like, Oh my God, this is going to suck. Like, you know, and we decide to just keep going because, um, we're, we have no cell service. Um, we have no way of, con- you know, calling friends or calling for help. And the truck is driving well enough to kind of continue, but it can't really go past like 50 miles an hour or something like that. And so as we're driving, we kind of get into cell service and you're, you're Googling on your phone. I'm driving and you're Googling, like, is it okay to drive with a misfire in your engine? (laughs) You know, or like basically like trying to figure out what the diagnosing this thing through Google searches and um, the cell service sucks. And we're like barely, you know, like a, a page result comes in every 10 minutes and gives us a little piece of information. But at some point I kind of had a suspicion that it was uh these ignition coils which I've replaced myself before and that's a known problem on on this F150 truck I have and uh we we call we like get this idea like maybe that we could buy one in Moab and put it in but otherwise we're going to be stranded in the desert for a night or maybe in Moab for a night or who knows how many days it would take to fix it before we could get home um and we call this you call this shop and you're like do you have do you have uh this ignition coil and and like the the cell service dies, and like we you know right we, yeah we you have to call them back like ten minutes later and you're we're looking at the Google Maps and it's telling us that the uh the shop closes at eight p m and we're gonna arrive at seven fifty nine so you're kind of frantically sending off these messages to them like if you have this ignition coil, stay open. We'll be there right. In like right totally. when you close. <laughs> um, and sure enough, we like you know get there right as they're closing. We buy a, an ignition coil. We drive this li- the truck limps along to. Well, they
0: were locked. The door was locked. They were. Then yeah, they were, they were locked. But then they were like, "Oh yeah, you guys, we'll let you in because we're yeah. <laughs> expecting you." Yeah, it was quite quite nice. And I, I I it was at O'Reilly's in Moab, and I dealt with those people before, and and they've always been been solid so i can recommend o'reilly's um and luckily it was on the south side of town so we got there at at, we literally got there at 758 we picked up a minute somewhere yeah um
1: (laughs) and um to brought the the truck limped over to our friend steph davis's house and um we pulled into their brand new garage they just built a new house and have this like sweet garage that can um you know that we could use and we pulled the truck into the garage and then spent like, I don't know, 90 minutes just kind of taking this one ignition coil and just swapping it in and out and turning the truck on and off to see which one was the broken one. Not even knowing if that was the real problem. And then sure enough, we like on the fifth one, it started working and yeah. uh, and we just drove home and it was fine, <laughs> which was Is fucking badass. Yeah, it's yeah. still in there. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, it felt good because it, it in years of like doing this stuff, and, um, I'm not a train mechanic, but, but, um, know my way around old shitty cars. Um, it's, that's not a common thing where you, where you like have something go wrong and you guess at what it is and you were right. Um, <laughs>
1: and you can fix it within, like yeah. And an you hour. can fix
0: it like with, I mean, really that was a, a one wrench job to do right. that too. So Yeah, it's so rare for that to happen that like the easy fix was the fix. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. And it was a collaborative effort because you knew about the coils. I had sort of figured out that it was missing. Um, You know, you I was for sure that the shops were closed and you were like, no, 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 let's find a shop that's still open. And um, O'Reilly's got great hours, too. I love O'Reilly. Actually, I'm I'm a big fan. It seems like the kind of Walmart of of, of <laughs> auto parts stores, but they always seem to have what I need, and their prices are better than some other places. So
1: and they stayed open for
0: us too. Yeah. So, but um, this is a climbing podcast, though. I was. I guess say, having say, shitty this is cars kind of like car talk. is a climbing is a climbing podcast, though. <laughs> I mean, you know, we just we're we're having an interview today with uh, with Cedar Wright about dirt bagging, and if if there's one thing about dirt bagging is that you are going to have a crappy car that breaks down on you some random fucking place absolutely you can have like you can have a nightmare situation where everybody tries to rip you off um or you can have a great situation and i've had both over my lifetime of dirt bagging where you know the mechanic does everything they can and then they charge you 45 bucks or they just you know do everything they can and then charge you 600 bucks for the same damn thing. So yeah, it's either way.
1: I, um, just as a a quick tangent, I I recall driving out to Yosemite in college with some friends and, um, we were in this old Volvo that my, it was my friend's parents, Volvo. And, um, like I had the whole, like we drove across the country and I was, I was a climber, but my friends weren't a weren't climbers. And so I was really just excited to go to Yosemite. And so it was like two weeks of bullshit road tripping with my college buddies, all leading up to this build-up moment where I was going to go to Yosemite and actually go climbing in Yosemite, which I was stoked out of my mind about. And we're in line to like get into the park and behind one of those stupid <laughs> RVs, in your you know, cars wrecked up one of those stupid RVs with a tunnel view p- painted on the back like those Renta RVs you know that right. that had the tunnel view of yosemite on the back and i'm with like some looking driving yeah with some germans driving and i'm looking at at this like view that i want to see in real life sitting in line <laughs> so close to the park and this volvo breaks down and i'm like god damn it and um there happened to be one mechanic like right by the park entrance that was literally a Volvo specialist who <laughs> like collected old Volvos from like, you know, World War II and like changed, cleaned them up and, and fix them up and whatever. And we rolled uh, the co- the car into his shop and, and he got us fixed up for, you know, a few hundred bucks or whatever. Nice. And we got to go to Yosemite that day.
0: I had my pinion seal on my rear differential on my Toyota fail in camp four. And um, the there, there's actually, you know, there's a there's a mechanic in uh, Yosemite over in Curryville or not in mm-hmm. Curry, but over by the by the grocery store, by the Iwani. And uh, those guys actually lent me a bunch of tools. Um, I went in and kind of begged them and they 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 had mercy on I me. Mean, I in particular, I needed a really big socket to take the pinion nut off. And, uh, yeah, they totally hooked me up. That's and, awesome. Um, yeah, so it's not impossible, but it was like fully laying in the dirt and camp four underneath my Toyota trying to get this thing fixed.
1: Well, this isn't exactly what we're talking about today. No. Um, but this we're is kind of related. We're actually talking about the opposite. <laughs> well, it's kind of it's going to be related in a way. We'll bring it all together. Don't you worry? Okay, but here we go. T- t- tell us, Chris, what your what your idea for a conversation is. Well, really. I
0: you know I had this conversation just this weekend with a couple climbers, and um, this idea of uh, Starlink came up, mm-hmm. and the idea that you can subscribe to Starlink and get enter- internet anywhere. And uh, both of us, we were talking, and, and uh, this person was telling me about how that's, you know, how they can kind of live on the road and still work and everything else. But we also kind of lamented this idea that all of a sudden, the internet is available to you in all these places where, I mean, people will post endlessly about how they disconnected. They Mm-hmm. They they shut it down because they were in Indian Creek or they were in ten Sleep or they were in these places where you couldn't get cell service and therefore you couldn't check any of this bullshit. It's ironic that then as soon as they get online, they talk about how they were offline <laughs> and how great it was. I mean, that's not lost on me either, but we all feel it. Like this idea that like your compulsion to check your phone is no longer an issue because you can't. Right. right? and that's being destroyed or or is destroyed by Starlink where you can get internet anywhere you want. Right. And also I thought there was this there was this post-pandemic time like 2021, I think, where it just felt like everywhere I went they were there and when I say they it was like the big RV people. Like not the climber RV people, but the big fucking massive RV people, and I think it's mellowed out. Um, I think a lot of those people that went on the road because of the pandemic were like, "This kind of sucks," and I'd rather live in a house. Mm-hmm. But there was this time when, like the, the that that was like every like these campsites where I was like, "Oh, no one's ever in that campsite." Like that that's my like backup campsite at this place or at that place. And you'd go and there was like literally a compound of like six of these gigantic RVs and razors and the whole thing. And I, I it's like worrisome that this like work on the road crew that will be even more kind of um, ubiquitous in climbing. Mm-hmm. It's just going to get, yeah, it's just going to get more intense. Yeah. These people like living in their trucks, in making like six figure salaries in their <laughs> vans or whatever it happens right. to be at coding for areas. Facebook. Yeah, it just was like I thought the implications were pretty heavy and I and I wanted to talk about it and what see what your thoughts were.
1: Well, it it kind of relates to everything we just talked about because um, you know, we we're, we're describing situations where we didn't have cell service and we couldn't like mm-hmm. call, you know, the shop very easily or we couldn't like figure out what was wrong with the truck or you know, back in the day when you know you didn't even know if there was a Volvo specialist nearby, you had to like roll your janky Volvo into town and ask the mechanic <laughs> at the gas station if he knew of someone who could fix it um and so our world has changed so much in the last you know since cell phones have have kind of been invented, and it's changed so much that I personally really appreciate the rare moments when. I I do get to like be disconnected even if it's for a few hours to just not have that compulsion of looking at Instagram or, you know, Twitter or whatever, um, or checking my email or just staying up on the world, like having no clue Mm -hmm. what's going on and just being out and present in, in, in a climbing space. And I really like going to climbing areas that have that as part of the atmosphere and, um, so basically what you're describing is um, it, that that is going to be taken away from, a, from us, you know, whether it's through Starlink or through just better, like if that's the future where we're just connected, no matter where you are on earth. Yeah. I, I think it's inevitable that that's going to be in our futures.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because like even rifle for us, you know, we talk about rifle on here a lot, but that is even like a daily respite because you go in there and it's over. Like your phones don't work. And and like the compulsion thing is important because, you know, everybody's like, well, you could just turn your phone off. But we all know that it's still like gnawing at you. (laughs) I mean, that's the whole insidious part of this whole thing is it's like, well, I'll just turn my, I'll just, well, I want to know what time it is. And you turn and you like open your phone and like, oh, fuck. Like someone got in touch with me. I better check that message. And even if it's, for work and not just for vanity, like you, it's like compulsive. I mean, the things are, the things are like, you know, designed by psychologists to like grab your attention. So yeah, yeah, I I find it. That's why I kind of walked away from this little, it was like a two minute conversation and I've been thinking about it ever since. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and I keep going back to the Creek because, you know, you can go into the Creek for a few days and just not know what's going on. And, And it's also made me think about, and this is an old guy thing, but I can intellectually understand a time before cell phones or before smartphones where you were relatively disconnected. Like, I remember it, but I can't empathize with it. Like, I no longer remember what it was like to have a phone in your fucking house. Right. And once you left your house, the only thing you could do if you needed to connect with someone was stop your car and find a janky (laughs) germ-covered fucking payphone and, like, call those people. I mean, it just made no sense. Like, you left the house and you were on your own. You had maps (laughs) and you had a plan and you went through with the plan. And climbing, like, has that feel at certain times still. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like you get to Indian Creek or you get to rifle and you told your friend, like, I'm going to be here these days. You're going to be here these days. I'm going to leave a note for you on the board. Right. And maybe we'll fucking find each other. But while you're there, there's none of this like, hey, where are you? What's going on? Right. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. I'm at this. OK, yeah. you're there. OK, I'm here. OK, well, let's find each other. Like None of that shit. You had to go back. You, you. It's like this retroactivity of like finding each other in this physical space that may or may not work. It may or may not happen, and you have to like accept this possibility that you can't find one another. Right. And the frustration. It's just like it's hard hard to explain, but that's well, like the way life was before all the time. I know it's kind of funny.
1: <laughs> or just like trying to find like, but I can't remember your- it. You can, Well, you, you kind of just described it perfectly. I mean, yeah. like, there's nothing more to remember. It was like, <laughs> I mean, like, you would make a plan with someone, like, a month in advance, like, by <laughs> pigeon message, and then you would drive, like, you know, 40 hours across the country with a fucking Rand McNally Atlas that was the size of your windshield that you would just like, try to leaf through as you're driving and uh, figure out which ro- if you're going on the right road. And then, like thirteen hours later, you just figure out you're on the wrong road, so you have to like backtrack
0: and like yeah, um I mean we we the mythologize good old days, Chris, it. the good old days, yeah, I know that's what I mean, we mythologize it, but like I tell this story all the time where I went my first international climbing trip was to Australia, and I had only a like super vague idea from reading climbing magazines about what the climbing was there where it was who was doing it yeah and my only plan was that i was going to land in sydney and i was going to go to this climbing shop that i knew about from uh like a fodors you remember fodors <laughs> fucking those books <laughs> yeah right no one knows what i'm talking about but pre lonely planet they're like they were like the original travel books I knew there was a climbing shop and that's, that's all I knew. Like i got on an airplane right. with that bit of information and that there was like climbing in the blue mountains uh, somewhere around Sydney. And like, and, and like the, all the stuff that unfolded after that was so random mm-hmm. and so like by the seat of my pants that I can't help but miss it. Right. You know, this idea of just dropping into a country with a, a A date where my plane ticket, I was going to leave like three months later. And that's all I knew. I was going to be there. I was going to rock climb. And, you know, literally the shop said to me, oh, you want to see it meet other climbers? Well, then go to this cliff. And they Mm -hmm. said, get on this train, get off the train in uh, Mount Victoria, walk down this street. (laughs) And when you hit the end of the street, there's going to be a trail. Go out that trail. And there will be a cliff out there in Pittington. (laughs) This is a little shout out to the Australians. And I was like, well, can I like camp there? And they're like, yeah, there's like this little cave you can stay in at the top. (laughs) And that was it. And I got on the fucking train and I went up to this town and I walked out this road per my instructions. (laughs) You know, like, like that's fucking adventure. I mean, that's adventure. Yeah. You know, I had no mountain project, none of that shit. Yeah. All I knew is there'd be a cliff there. And the next day I I got I went down to the base of the cliff and I started meeting climbers and we started climbing together. And so it's a trip. It's just like I don't know. I think it it's like the the Starlink thing is like the last nail in the coffin of mm-hmm. of this this bygone era that maybe we shouldn't lament. Maybe it maybe it sucked more than I remembered it.
1: <laughs> well, I, I I think that the Point about having like these little pockets of respite from being connected all the time is a, I think that's something that most people will appreciate and probably agree with. Um, and I, I definitely think it changes the experience to have, uh, you know, when you go to crags where there is self service, you see how people behave and what they do with their time and how they sure. interact with each other. And it's different from crags where people, where there is no self service and, People might still be like playing on their phones and taking photos and stuff, but they're not like just glued to their screens the way they are um, when there is like internet.
0: Yeah, and, and the other thing that bothers me is that I don't want I don't want to find out that you know in Creek Pasture Thursday, like there's some hedge fund guy like on his computer like <laughs> robbing. You know, pension (laughs) funds from people, or like retirement funds from grandmothers, or whatever, whatever it is they fucking do. I don't even know what they do, but it seems nefarious. They they make a ton of money doing it, (laughs) so I understand that it's like quite it's it's like quite alluring. Yeah, but the idea that that's happening in this like sacred space Mm -hmm. of like dirtbag freedom just annoys the shit. I like. And and it will be like, it will be like that dude will, will, will like completely decimate some mom and pop business that they, they bought. And then the next day (laughs) they'll be at the crag, like, you know, jamming up some like 12 minus finger crack. Like (laughs) It's just the whole idea of it bothers me. Right. And you know what I mean? Like it's a sacred space that was not meant for such things.
1: So are you more worried about the internet or just the that the capitalism is gonna molest your your sacred spaces in climbing?
0: <laughs> Both. I, I mean, aren't they the same thing, really? Isn't it the they same really thing? They really are. They really I mean, are. That that guy should actually should be forced to at least drive to Moab to, to you know to rob <laughs> to retirement the funds. Earth. <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah right mining bitcoin like you know how much energy that's taking right now have you seen the articles about that shit totally yeah 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 exactly so yeah it's so if any of that like i don't know i just want to believe that we're all just like chilling
1: but what if i i want to be authentic and yeah on but...
0: our quietude journey
1: but what if i want to be on my quietude shit and then and then mine some Bitcoin and
0: make some bank and
1: then <laughs>
0: Isn't that then what Bitcoin's bank. all about? Is that you don't have to fucking actually mine it? I don't know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I think it's I think it's troubling. And then like, I don't know. Do we bring Elon Musk into this whole thing? That guy seems like a Yeah, he's a wacko. Fucking, yeah, not great. Yeah. So well, and that it's, actually it's in the conversation him. this this person was like, yeah, I'm not super stoked about giving money to Elon Musk, but <laughs> you know, he wants to live his lifestyle and it and it works for him, so he was fully Starlinked in. Right. Um and of course we don't have to get Starlink and I won't be anytime soon, but it's just like a it's a harbinger of the future, you know, where we're all connected even in these spaces where traditionally we were not. Well, we're no. all connected,
1: and we're also all working all the time too. That's like the other mm-hmm. aspect of it that's pretty negative. And yeah, I think that people at some point are going to realize that they can't have it all. Like that's kind of like what this dream of of being connected is. Is like you could mine your bitcoins, and you know, rob your your uh trade your subprime mortgages, and you know, live in your Sprinter van, and also like have your quietude journey. um <laughs> and take some sweet (laughs) photos of you on Scarface out at the Creek and (laughs) hashtag them up on your Instagram account. (laughs) And, uh, and then you're living, you're like literally living the dream if you can tick all those boxes. But I think it's, I don't know. I mean, I think it's safe to say that if you're connected all the time, you're going to be working all the time. And I I don't know, like we, our relationship to work is going to change. I don't know what it's going to look like, but Whatever it is now isn't the most healthy thing, I think, or certainly not the most optimal relationship that we all have to work. And I think trying to like scam the system to be connected all the time so you could travel all the time or whatever it is, is probably just going to make you miserable. Um, and so it's nice to, to really like focus on having that respite, having and seeking out places where there is no Starlink and there is no internet. And I don't know, that's my, my little two cent, uh, you know, idealistic bullshit.
0: So I just had this vision because in Creek pasture and Indian Creek, there was times and, and like there were places well known in the Creek for a time and it's probably all changed, but you could like get a cell, like you could get one bar. Like if you, if you walk down the road holding your cell phone in the air, you know you could get like one bar. We're into ten. And I just had hat. this vision of like this 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 climber just like pressing download, like furiously pressing download on on the run out podcast, <laughs> just so he could because he's been in the creek for a month and he has no idea what's going on in the climbing world. He needs a new he's app. Like, I gotta fucking I gotta get me I gotta get me some run out right now and so it's like the, you know you look up at him on the on the mesa with like the glow of the cell phone in his face just furiously trying to get it to download
1: we'll send you a free water bottle if that's you
0: <laughs> need water it's the desert you gotta stay hydrated <laughs>
1: Cedar Wright is a dirtbag master, Choss boss, filmmaker, professional climber, and paraglider. He's putting his own money on the line to launch a novel idea that he's calling the dirtbag fund.
2: My basement has become like the, uh, like dirtbag rehab. I've had like a series of different down there luck friends who've lived down in the basement. and you know, for as much as a year and a half at a time and gotten their life back together down there. So
1: it's like a dirtbag wayward house.
2: Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. We've had to. Yeah. We really should have a, have a spot in the wall where you can sign at this point. It's kind of becoming a, <laughs> a, a real, a, a real halfway. Like one of those chain
1: restaurants where every celebrity like signs like a photo of themselves on it's in the yeah. hallway on the way to the bathroom.
2: Yeah. I love that stuff.
1: Um, well, we're going to talk about dirtbags today because you've yes. uh, you've entered into the dirtbag conversation in a unique way in the past few weeks. But um, before we get there, um, I thought we could talk about a couple different things. One, I'd like to just hear your thoughts on um, your recently departed good friend Eamon McNeely. Um, and uh, you know, we were going to record a, a a thing with you, Cedar, uh, r- shortly after his death, but you're down in um South America paragliding. So why don't you just like quickly catch us up on what you've been up to in life? I know, you know, climbing's obviously your professional climber, climbing's a big part of your life, but you've also got this paragliding habit that you're deep into. So tell us just what you've been up to.
2: Yeah, um yeah, so I was, most recently was in Brazil where I was at um competing in a paragliding competition um at a pretty high level competition. It was a lot of fun um in a place called Castello. And it was amazing. We were flying over these huge granite monoliths and crazy granite spires. And yeah, the Brazilian community is just a really cool community. And before that, I was wintering in Columbia, also paragliding. Basically, like, you know, don't tell my sponsors, but like all I do is paraglide now. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: you're a competitive uh, paraglider as well. Is Is that like a fairly straightforward equivalent to the comp scene in climbing or is it a totally different crowd?
2: It's such a different crowd. It's, it's way more multi-generational because, you know, it's way more of a kind of a game that we play in the sky. And, um, yeah, so some of the top guys are in their 50s and 60s, but you also have these young phenoms. And then it's, yeah, it's like this weird chess game in the sky. Everybody launches and gets in position and then goes down like a GPS course line all at once. And mm-hmm. it's this, like, three-dimensional, like, game where you're using all the information around you and then trying to get yourself in the best position to, to get to the finish line the first and it's, man, it's, it's really, really fun. And, uh, yeah, it's outrageous.
0: You know, it, it sounds kind of bonkers, dude. Like whenever I see the, the footage of all, you know, where people are all together, like spinning around together, I'm, I, it's terrifying. Like, don't, don't you guys ever like crash into each other and just plummet to the it's ground? Full,
2: it's full on gladiator sport, man. I was, I was at this competition this year in Korea and we're all just like, you know, there's like hundred, everyone's fighting for this little piece of lift and it's kind of desperate conditions. So everybody's just like battling it out, trying to stay in the air. And I look over and I see these guys, two guys hit each other and then they're entangled and they're like spinning out of the sky. And then like two reserves, like come out, you know, and then they just disappear into the forest. And, and I was just like, all right, just, you know, don't let that yeah, happen sure. to you. <laughs> and then like everybody just keeps flying, you know, it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty gnarly and, but also can be amazing a lot of fun. And, yeah, it's it's, it's So, how cool good sport.
1: are you? Are you like winning these events? Or are you coming in last I'm place? Like, I'm like, where are you? I'm
2: like a solid, you know, at this point, probably a five thirteen paraglider or something like that, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So there's there's some definitely guys better than me, but in America, not a lot. I'm like definitely like a good pilot at this point. Yeah. Yeah, probably better at like from a peer, you know, maybe achievement standpoint than I ever was it at, at rock climbing.
1: It sounded like you had mm-hmm. an accident of some kind. It, it was that paragliding related or tell us just about what your what i've what had happened yeah there. well so
2: yeah no i had a, a pretty bad paragliding accident i had a bad last year was a bad year it was my worst year ever i had a relatively bad paragliding accident where i got caught in some really strong winds in the alps um in switzerland and crashed and Thought I broke my pelvis, went to the hospital on a backboard, and um, but miraculously didn't. Um, but like had basically torn and ripped like all the connective tissue in my pelvis. I could like barely, barely walk. Um, I had to like teach myself to walk again. But I, I made a relatively fast recovery of maybe three months or something like that, and then I was back to paragliding. And I was in Santa Barbara. Me and Nellie, my wife, were messing around. I had her on my shoulders and. We were like, oh, we should stack our Maymay, just like kind of like a niece of ours, like a young kid who's a friend of ours. And we st- when we stay in Santa Barbara, they're really good friends. And she got up on Nellie's shoulders and I had them both like standing there and we took the photo and then Maymay fell and then Nellie fell and Nellie landed like, like on basically the back of my head and broke and dislocated my neck. Um, oh my God. And then I was laying on the ground and I couldn't move my legs. And I thought that, that I was going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life. Holy shit. Yeah. It was pretty fucked. And just messing around, dude, after all the dangerous shit I've been done in my life, you know, free soloing and paragliding and, you know, climbing El Cap and all this crazy stuff. And then I, yeah, I broke, I broke my neck in my living room and, uh, yeah, rushed to the hospital emergency spinal fusion surgery of c 6 C6, C7 vertebrae, really scary. And then the recovery process was, was really tough. The pain, um, I thought I knew pain, you know, and I, but every other pain I'd ever experienced in my life was like a two and this was like a 10. It was like, and then it was this, it was also nerve pain because I'd had a spinal cord injury in my elbows. And so my elbows were just like, like, it felt like I thought I must've broken my arms during the accident. Cause my, my elbows hurt so bad from the spinal cord injury wow, and my man. elbows actually still hurt. It's been six months and um yeah i'm like you know doing pretty good i'm back to climbing in the gym and even like climbing some easy 512s here and there and um was able to fly again a little sooner than that just because you know i was i was pretty good but like waiting on all this connective tissue and you know wait, waiting for for my neck to be solid enough to really start yarding on my arms dude that's a fucked up story that is a really fucked up story dude it was I mean, a really, really tough thing to go through. It's the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. And Nellie was, my wife was amazing. She was there for me through that. And um, it would have been a lot tougher without her. It was a really, a dark time for me, you know? And I was like, coming back from it, I wasn't sure if I was going to fly or climb again. It was really unclear, like what my recovery was going to look like um, because, you know, people come back from these kind of accidents in a lot of different states, you know? And I was lucky that I didn't get paralyzed, um, because a lot of people who have that, um, this this type of injury, you know, they, uh, they end up paralyzed and, uh, wow. yeah. So it was a, a heavy,
1: well, it, it brings new meaning to when your wife comes down hard on you. <laughs> All right, I just, this is a little dad oh, joke. Oh, oh, oh. I'm just going to slide in with my dad jokes. Um, yeah, Dude, though, I'm yeah, so sorry. I mean, you're nice. you're looking like you've got a little stiff neck going. Are you just not? Is it's is it full good. mobility it's, or?
2: I'd say I have probably at this point like um maybe like you know ninety percent of my neck mobility that I had.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you've I, always had kind of a fucked up back too. I remember you kind of always you walk like a like a velociraptor with yeah. your it used to fun to back.
2: Way I, I walked, yeah, because of my lower back <laughs> problems. But I actually fixed those um so yeah my lower back's great <laughs> yeah I actually I got um I was actually like uh at this party and was high on acid and started like intuitively stretching and found this magical stretch and I started doing it all the time and now I don't have back problems wow
0: yeah wait wait a second hold on <laughs> you you found this magic stretch during an acid trip yes and it worked it's my. I have not had back um, problems since then. Am I? Would I be able to replicate it without doing acid? No, you have to no. do the acid.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you, no, the stretch. Yeah, the stretch.
0: The, yeah. Yeah. No.
2: the 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 stretch is um, it's really simple. It's one they do for scoliosis. For some okay. people, it's not even a stretch. But for me, at first, a stretch was just being able to sit on my. um uh, elbows, you know, and arch my back with my feet on mm. the ground. I sit and look at my computer and stuff. Huh. But it turns out the eyes just like had like a bent forward
0: spine in my pelvic region and huh. sorted that out. Okay, because I have tons of lower back issues, so yeah, you Go. should try the stretch. It's oh, so interesting oh, how
1: how much pain maybe that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so much of pain and mobility is related just to the nervous system and what our body tolerates or thinks it could tolerate. And there's like little like uh, sirens that go up if your brain is like wired wrong for totally. know, certain movements. And so maybe maybe a, a, an ayahuasca trip is, is in store for, for those who are having trouble. Yeah, getting I, to those I might be able positions. to, be for one,
2: just to kind of get in touch with what's going on in my central nervous system a little bit, but... Well,
1: yeah. It sounds like you cool. could use one after this last year, Cedar.
2: Mm. So it was a rough year and, um, yeah. And that's, yeah. So that's kind of where I came up with the, this whole idea for, I've been kind of kicking around this idea for a long time of like making basically like a dirt bag fund, mm-hmm. um, or just basically a way to give, um, money away to young, you know, up and coming climbers. And, um, and it just felt like after the accident, it just felt like, um, I don't know. I, I, it, I felt like I should, you know, I had this feeling of gratitude and also this feeling of, you know, like what an amazing life I've had, how lucky I've been. I had this one really bad thing happen to me, but I had just a lot of like, wow, like what a crazy life I've lived, you know, sponsored for the, by the North face, all these years, like basically paid to go travel the world and rock climb. And, and I had, you know, a lot of gratitude that I was going to get to keep doing all those things. And, um, and I, was, I was like, I got to get this dirtbag pun thing done. And, you know, and, and I've gotten to this point where you know, I, people were coming to me and being like, Hey, like, you know, talk about our fish oil on Instagram. We'll pay you $5,000, you know? And, uh, and so I just basically took that, uh, that fish oil money and parlayed it into this, um, this grant. So, you know, just five grand to start, but yeah, just giving out like five $1,000 grants to a variety of young, interesting um, climbers. And I've gotten over a hundred applications and it's been really really heartwarming to go through them all and just see all these young kids out there just scrapping by and yeah and just who love climbing and uh and who are who could really use a thousand bucks because i don't know probably you guys are past that point where you know a thousand dollars maybe not isn't going to make a huge meaningful difference in your lives but you know for some of these um these young dirt bags a thousand bucks is actually can actually you know get them climbing for a another month or something like that you know
1: Right so you've got this dirtbag fund um you're giving away as you just alluded to all this money $5000 and $1000 chunks so you could have given that away to any kind of group w- why dirtbags what what about dirtbags touches your heart or makes you uh, what is it why were you drawn to that as the the idea behind this Those are my
2: roots you know um I came up in a full dirtbag scene like I got my start at um, bless his heart, Todd Gordon's house, Todd Gordon had this house, um, in Joshua tree. And basically it was just like a climber's flop house and anyone could, could stay there. And I spent months and months just like sleeping on Todd's couch and climbing in Joshua tree. And man, that was like without Todd and, and the Gordon ranch, it would have, you know, it would have been a little tougher to do what I did. You know, it was like, it was a little bit of a home away from home, you know, cause I lived in my truck. And so a lot of times I just go sleep in my truck, come in, maybe get a shower at Todd's house, hang out and slander with all the classic dirtbag characters, you know. And then I I met this guy, Coiler, and he took me and taught me the uh, the dirtbag ways, Brian K., or Coiler, of uh, Yosemite. And, you know, I got introduced to that whole culture um there and at that time it was a really vibrant and thriving dirtbag culture that was happening in Yosemite with a lot of amazing climbers and amazing characters and um and it was a really incredible community that really shaped who I am today and um and I look back on that time really fondly but I also remember like you know how hand-to-mouth things were and kind of how grim it was sometimes when you were low on cash and all you wanted to do was keep climbing and Someone had given me 500 bucks back then, you know, that would have been another month and a half of, of me on the road and chasing my crazy, uh, climbing dreams. I actually once wrote an article, um, called, I think, I think I called it dirt bag is dead it was, or the death of the dirt bag. And it was kind of about how like James Lucas was my archetypal last dirt bag, you know? And I got a lot of flack, but it was, I was just being provocative really. And just, you know, trying to throw out this idea, like how is dirtbag bag culture changing, how is climbing changing? Um and uh and a lot of people came out of the woodwork being like, Well, I'm still living in the dirt and the dirt bag's not dead and that was really what I wanted to hear out of that article was, you know, that um that yeah, that the there's still those people out there who aren't worried about like climbing the corporate ladder and want to go, you know, climb a hard finger crack in the creek or or whatever, you know, or send their project and rifle or whatever it, it might be. So
0: I have a lot of questions about this, but a comment too is, I mean, James has still got one foot in that world. You know, he sort he does. of, yeah, it's, he's, he's holding James on, but is, I mean, yeah, I, mean I remember that that, he oh, should get that foot out at this point, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there is, we've often commented that there's a point at which like, yeah, let's, let's, you know, let's go inside. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's interesting though, because I mean, you know, I remember the dirt bag is dead and we we've, kind of talked about that on here too but it does i feel like it does seem to be a little bit under siege and and it's funny because it's like it's like climbers have sort of turned on them as well in a lot of ways i think like i i mean i i think that we're climbers are just real touchy about rules and stuff these days you know and and like siding with the with you know siding with the land managers and siding with the the camping regulations and everything else and all the stuff that like you know you guys were so famous for breaking in in Yosemite and and I remember revering that like these that you you know you you could stay there for months on end I don't know how you did it but you did it and it was so cool and it's like I don't know I feel like there's like all this scolding that goes with it now too um that we have yeah. to like that we do need to celebrate the dirtbag and the counterculture and the the hooker by crook and not sure what I'm quite getting at, but let me, let me pick up on that, Chris.
1: Like, I think what you're getting at is that it's not just a socioeconomic position in life. Like there's also this punk mentality or like anti-establishment mentality that's often associated or correlated with dirt bagging. And that's kind of part of the culture is like, you know it's like you're against society or something, like there's this like punk element to it in some sense. It Sorry. really is a
2: counterculture. It, it was, you know, at least for us in Yosemite, it was a real counterculture that was happening, you know, and it was, yeah. it was, it was an amazing, it was an amazing time. I do think, you know, I mean, obviously, what it is to be a dirtbag and, and trying to, you know, not like I don't want to be too restrictive with that term as far as this grant goes, right. you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, um, I want to spread. To me also, a dirtbag is just someone who's, you know, doing something meaningful in the climbing community while maybe, you know, living hand to mouth, so to speak, you know, maybe at the poverty line or below. And maybe it's somebody, um, you know, who's, you know, got a climbing program that they run in the city and they work for a nonprofit and they're just scrapping to get by. And, um, you know, the the culture of climbing is growing. And, but I think even, you know, within the other little aspects, I think there are still the dirtbags, the people who love the culture or just like kind of scrapping to get by within that, um, within that world, you know? So I do want to spread the money out to not just a bunch of like, you know, white dudes working on their, their Cap project or whatever,
1: right. you know? <laughs> I mean, there's this funny thing about what a thousand dollars could get you these days. And, you know, if you're, in a sprinter van and you know driving all around that's like a week of gas or something like that you know so (laughs) So, yeah it's like an oil change yeah it's like an oil change and a a couple of fill-ups on the of your gas tank so
0: it's it's one quarter of having your your turbo replaced yeah or like (laughs) no actually more like one sixth or seventh (laughs) of having your turbo replaced You've yep. got to be a little
1: bit selective, I, I would imagine. Um is is there like a no? I, I don't live in a sprinter van or sprinter vans need not apply. There is. Rule?
2: There's a no. There there literally is a rule. Yeah, no no six figure sprinter vans. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, so, I'm not there's no the, the beauty of the dirt bag fund is there are no rules because like you know, like dirt bagging, it's I don't I don't want to limit it or um you know I also you know I also am like I think that the next thing I'm gonna do the next round of grants will be us um because I've already man, I like raised another five thousand dollars just off of like the Stoke with the Dirtbag Fund. But I think the that's awesome. The, the next the next round of grants I think are um, going to be uh, Sufferfest grants, and I'm hoping to get you know people to maybe give you know f- give out some money to people who want to go do human powered kind of like mini expeditions um, in the you know in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if somebody wants to go, you know, try to go repeat what Alex and I did and bike and do all the 14ers or something, I'd be happy to give them some cash, you Mm -hmm. know, try to um, support some of those stories. But also, I'm also hoping to get stories in return, you know what I mean? And content to share. And um, if some of these people do want to like maybe try to go down the path I did, help maybe mentor them or help give them an audience or, uh, yeah, springboard a little bit um, for their own, um, you know, adventure, you know climbing or or whatnot careers so i hope i can help some people in that way as well through this this fund eventually
1: be cool to have like the, a bonus um prize where you know all five um grants go out at once and whoever makes that thousand dollars last the longest gets like an extra like 10 grand or something like that <laughs> <laughs> turn it into like turn it into the hunger games yeah, exactly <laughs> right <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. Turn into one that's yeah, like like a Mr. Beast episode on YouTube or whatever. Just like look at all the monkeys dance. No, I'm not. I don't want to do anything like like that. But uh, (laughs) Jason Momoa could
1: underwrite it. It could be his next uh, next reality show. I know,
2: right? I, I feel like I feel like this whole dirtbag Grant things like has legs. I think it's like generating stoke in the community, you know, and, um, that's all, that's what, that's what I want to do is like, just, you know, man, climbing gave me so much. So now if I can give back, um, in some way, you know, um, that's pretty, that's going to feel really good to me, you know? So yeah, we'll see.
0: Yeah. And I, I like how it's like the counter to the normal grant operation from, from companies or from, you know, the AAC or any of these people, you know, it's like, you have to think up sort of the wildest, most craziest, like giant thing to get any of those grants, and and I I love the fact that it's like sort of contained, um, you know, almost automatically has sort of a low carbon footprint, um, because that's the one thing about dirt bag. and if you're not driving around all the time, if you're, you know, can you imagine what you guys is when you were living in that cave and in yosemite like what your carbon footprint was is pretty low i would imagine <laughs> it's <pretty good. laughs> yeah it's a lot better than me in my my house with like the lights right. turned
2: on and like you know yeah you no know, my impact is has gone up
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it just yeah. seems to be like a counter it's 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 cool it's a light it, show, Grant. I mean, it is yeah, yeah it, it is, and it's, like, it's the, like that's that's the i mean it's still the It's also
2: not a nonprofit, you know, it's, it's like, uh, because I was like going to do a nonprofit, but, um, but a, it was, I I don't, I don't have my financial shit in that kind of order where I could like, like be doing the bookkeeping, you know, and I didn't want to have to pay a bookkeeper a bunch of money. And then I also realized that in a lot of ways I'm profiting from this, um, this venture just by like being able to get to tell these stories and getting, you know, being able to get to be a part of this. And I think it just allows, it'll also allows me to hopefully partner with brands and get money from brands, um, um, you know, and give them marketing and stuff in return. And so start to hopefully, you know what I mean? I'd like it if these grants were more than a thousand dollars and it was like more of a meaningful hookup and really gave somebody basically the sponsorship so they could go out and do something cool and come back with a story. I could help them tell the story. So that sort of thing, you know, so in some ways it's going to be like, I would love it if it became a little bit of a media company in a way. Um, where, you know, you're, um, you're putting out like, uh, cool content about like unknown crushers or even just great. Li- there's just great characters or, you know, people with heart doing something cool, you know, there's this idea yeah.
1: that like a dirt, there's this like perfect dirt bag that exists. who's like, you know, living the life and really true to the sport and core or whatever. And I would imagine that you said you've gotten a hundred applicants so far. I imagine there's a mix of people who maybe don't fit that paradigm that you have or perfect thing that you have in your head, um, for who should receive this grant. And then maybe there's some that who are, but what, could you give us a a little taste of like what kind of person is, is applying for this?
2: Yeah, it's well, it's like, yeah, it's, it's probably, you know, 65% white dudes. Um, and maybe, maybe 60% white dudes. So I'd like to see that change a little bit you know, maybe 30% women, um, right now. Um, so I'd love to see more, you know, if you're listening, you know, cause there'll be more grants. Like if you're a woman, especially, <laughs> um, you know, or maybe don't look like your typical dirt bag, that would be great. You know, somebody got my Instagram and was like, I, you know, I hope this is not just going to be a bunch of like Jack Kerouac wannabe white boys, you know, or whatever. And I was like, you know, yeah, noted. That's a fair, it's fair, like, you know, concern, I guess man there's been like there's some people with just heart you know who are just out there and and really love climbing and are really you know really excited about the grant and and um and not all of them are hard climbers i don't really care necessarily how hard you climb it's just more like do you have a good story could you maybe tell your story and uh you know are you do you do you seem to have a genuine love for climbing you know like there was you know like there was this whole knucklehead bouldering crew of like and at first I was like, oh, bro, bro, boulders. Then I was like, actually, you know, no, this is pretty cool. You know, these guys are all like living out of their cars in, in these bouldering areas and climbing hard and making little movies. And looks like they're having a lot of fun and kind of having the time of their life. And, and, uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of characters coming out of the woodwork. Nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see hopefully more of them in the future.
1: So has this made you um, see getting these applicants Has this kind of changed your impression about where the how healthy the dirtbagging culture is in climbing?
2: It's still alive. The dirtbag, you know, is, you know, is still it's still going. It's it's evolving. But yeah, it's it's still it's still out there. There's still people there always will be, I think, I think just it's the nature of climbing it's such an incredible sport and it, um, it requires full dedication, especially, you know, if you want to excel, like, you know, in the realm of traditional climbing or, you know, big wall climbing, it's like, it's a craft that you have to learn over time and you really have to dedicate yourself to it. And, uh, and that requires, um, some sort of ascetic, you know, kind of approach, you know, for a lot of people to be able to, to, you know, Chris, I know you, you know, live that, that life pretty hard. And, and Andrew, I knew you had your dirt bag days and, you know, there's, yeah, that time in your life, especially in your, you know, in your younger life where you're sacrificing some of those modern conveniences can actually lead towards, um, greater successes, uh, later on. And, uh, you learn so much like that feeling of what it's like to be passionate about something and work really hard for something you really care about is a powerful teacher, you know, that I got through climbing and I'm sure you guys gotten that same lesson. And, and, uh, yeah, that therein lies some of the beauty of the dirt bag is that the dirt bag is it's not like a lazy piece of shit. The dirt bag is like just like very, very solely dedicated to the art of climbing. You know, and that's a I think that's a very noble pursuit personally.
0: You know, I was just thinking though that there's like a philosophical problem is that somewhere you know Andrew mentioned this like archetypal dirt bag. Yeah, somewhere the archetypal dirt bag exists and. He, he or she does not have a phone does not have the internet um you know like they are like so deep in the dirt that you you personally cedar i think at some point will need to take a thousand dollars and put it in your pocket and go on the road and find Mm. these people or this person because because they will never hear about this dirtbag thing and and like you need to like Go to the caves in Yosemite. You need to go to these places Sweet and find well, Chris, that, like the Trader that Joe's dumpster. Here yeah, yeah, exactly like you got to yeah. you got to stake out the <laughs> Trader Joe's dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, like surprise somebody bag. with a thousand bucks.
2: I am taking nominations for the biggest dirt bag. And, okay. um, <laughs> and I am, so just because that dirt bag doesn't have a phone or anything, you can e- email me at the dirtbagfund <laughs> okay. at gmail.com
0: and nominate if, someone. And just,
2: you know, take like maybe like a photo of them, like a like a weird animal in the wild, like, you know, spotting like a snow leopard or something. Totally. And, yeah,
0: uh, like, a and big, just, like a grainy Bigfoot I mean, shot of them yeah. bouldering on something. Yeah. yeah. You're just like sending
2: your project barefoot, naked. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, uh, just you know, give me give me their story and I will I will send you okay, a thousand dollars. Cool. I've got a thousand. I'm going to
0: set it aside <laughs> right
2: now. I promise you.
0: Because like Chongo Go would quiet. never have heard this. Yeah, I totally. would never have heard about this fund. Really? You know, really? Yeah,
2: I should. Like once I hit like 10K, I should just on on principle send Chongo a thousand bucks.
0: It seems like it. I mean, he's inspired. He's inspired a lot of people to go out into the dirtbag lifestyle.
2: We should. I, the dirtbag fund should send Django some cash. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. If
0: you can find him at this point.
2: Well, maybe you guys want to be on the board. You know, I think you, okay. can, yeah, we I'm, got I'm some good. This is, this is the <laughs> inaugural uh,
1: Dirtbag Fund board meeting that we're recording exactly. here.
0: Yeah. All right. So let me give an example. I, this guy could find it, but I was at the Michigan Ice Fest a few years ago. Have you ever been to that seat or probably not? I haven't, but I've heard about it. It sounds like it really was weird event. that I was there, but it was, it was almost like a joke that they invited me. But anyhow, this <laughs> dude, like, I mean, it's in northern Michigan way up there in the dead of winter, you know, and this guy up there was like fully dirt bagging the, uh, the fest. And he actually had like this snow cave that he built just in a drift right outside of the center. And I was like, where are you sleeping? He's like, Oh, I got this snow cave built (laughs) and he had no money, but he wanted to go to this festival. It It was, I remember thinking like, dude, you are fucking hardcore. Like, Cause it was, I mean, I would rather to say it was zero or, or in the negative. Um, and he was just like partying. He's like, yeah, I got a snow cave. I'm good. And it was literally on this street, like just this bank of snow that they'd plowed up and he had dug out his cave. And I was like, that's fucking real, bro. That reminds (laughs) me
2: of a, of, of a Mark Sennett story that he once told at a North Face, uh, like athlete, like summit meeting. And it basically, he was living in a snow cave while being a ski bum in tahoe or something and he he was uh he he was hunting and um hunting and eating squirrel uh mostly for sustenance <laughs> and his girlfriend came and like visited him in a snow cave or something but didn't know like what was in the stew and went to give it a stir and like <laughs> a squirrel carcass and he actually had made like a vest out of squirrel and was, oh my god like, Yes. And it was a hardcore dirtbag in his day. Like hearing that story, I was all, damn, dude, you went to some places I never went with my dirtbag in my career. You you were on some next level shit, dude. Look at him now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now he's like a New York Times bestselling novelist. So see kids.
1: Right.
2: Right. Must be the vitamins and squirrel stew. Dude, Jimmy Chin, I remember like back in the day when I was on SAR, you know, and it was like that was definitely my dirtbag heyday. I'd like gotten like you know I was working for SAR, so I had a tent cabin, so I upgraded from like cave in the back of the woods to like tent cabin. I was like the king of the world. And I remember like Jim, I met Jimmy, and we went back and like smoked weed and played guitar. And like Jimmy lived in a Subaru, you know, and look at him now, friggin', he's uh gotten an Academy Award, and you know. Is like production company and making TV shows and stuff. Who would have thought? So crazy. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. Yeah. Won't return
2: my emails. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Mine either. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Chin will not be starting a dirt bag fund. He's gonna be. You know. <laughs> no, I love him, Jimmy. Um, um, yeah, but yeah, so it's exciting. Yeah, and I love I I love talking about the dirt bag. I love you know I love this. I love that it's like you know, getting that conversation out there. I also think, you know, maybe the ultimate like great thing that could happen out of this is that just like, you know, some of those young kids who are maybe like getting really strong in the gym are like, you know what, screw it. Like I'm 19 years old, you know, I've got like some money saved up. I'm going to go live in my car and go travel around the United States and like, you know, experience just all the amazing climbing that we have here and all the amazing places and go for the adventure, you know, go be a dirtbag for a little bit. You know, it's like, it's a, uh, we got plenty of, um, you know, of, of people who
0: work in and go, go dive in the dirt and go climbing, you know, it's, it's fascinating because generally speaking, you know, it's they they are the good time, good fun people at the cliff, you know, men and women, it's like, you know, you know what I mean? Like they can't yes. roll in heavy and, and have a bad attitude because that their whole existence depends on a finding climbing partners you know, a community, a place to sleep, all that sort of thing. And and the, and the fascinating thing, like you Cedar, you know, this kind of full circle thing that's, that's happening. I, I sort of feel it too. I mean, I, I'm not giving away $5,000, but you know, when we got on this podcast, you mentioned your house has a, has guest space and I'm, I'm like a hundred percent, any climber I talk to, I'm like, look, if you come to Carbondale, like we have a room. Cause it's like the first time in my life I've had a room in a house that I could have people sleep in. Versus me being on their couch or on their floor or whatever. So it's like, I, I also feel that same thing about like with the Enorma cast too. And, and the run out, like giving back to the community in some way, because it was, I was, I was like that person that needed the generosity of others. And so I, I the dirt bag thing is, it's kind of infused with this like kindness I think. Um, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Is there like an asshole dirt bag out there? Probably there are, there are,
2: but (laughs) but I think there is a certain,
0: I think that there is a certain
2: humility, you know, that can come with it, you know, because you are, you know, I mean, man, I spent a lot of my time, you know, like during that time diving in dumpsters and there's like, you know, you just, there's a certain humility in, in just like eating other people's trash and, um, (laughs) you know, and getting by on that next to nothing. And, I think there's a certain, uh, I, especially in your twenties, I think there's like, you know, could be a really valuable and amazing experience, you know, to realize yeah. like the the value of things and, and also the, you know, the value of your time and like, and doing the things that you love, you know, and what is really important, you know, money or experience, you know? And so in a way the dirt bag is, is they say money is less important than experience. And, um, I've lived my life by that philosophy system and been very lucky, to somehow put that together into being, you know, relatively financially secure. But there was a lot of sacrifice that came along the way that I look back on now fondly. Maybe some of it is like, you know, not with 2020 hindsight, you know, but maybe romanticizing those days because if I was honest, I'd say there were some pretty hard times back then to, you know, getting by next to nothing. But man, it was amazing. It was It was such a great time in my life, you know.
1: Um, let's, uh, switch topics to, uh, sadder topic. Um, our lost friend, Damon McNeely, um, Cedar, I, I worked on a profile that you wrote of him, uh, with you. I, I was the editor on that piece, uh, years ago, yeah. and it was just such a beautiful piece a of writing. It's, piece. Yeah. It's a great piece of writing. I loved it. And you really captured, uh, his entire personality in, in, in that story. But, um, you know, I know it's a good good bro of yours. And I'd love to just hear you pay homage basically to Amen And what, I guess for someone who, let me put it as a question. If, if someone didn't know who he was or why he was special, how would you
2: describe him? And, and, I mean, yeah, Amen like, you know, it's like the dirt bag might not be dead, but the Amic McNeely, that, that type of type of dirt bag. I haven't seen one of those in a long time. This guy was a fucking wild man, dude. I mean, he, he was punk rock, like big time. And uh did not give a fuck dude and he he, he and he was bold, like I've never seen like his aid climbing um was on uh, like a very very bold level, and he was very committed to the game, and I mean I think the guy still has more speed records on' cap than anybody and um but he was also like you know lived life like so on the edge, just boozing and freaking just raging, and also just pushing past the limit sometimes and breaking himself um yeah i mean in the in the little story i wrote you know it's like the first time when the first time i met I and mean, like he had like a big like scar on his face because he was just like alling you know off the back of his truck and shot the skateboarder up in his face and like had this huge what you know a scar that needed would need to have stitches and he like just like duct taped it and then went up on the wall and then so you know, ever since then, I know now I'm going to have this, like, huge scar, like, on his face, you know, because he should have went and got stitches, but he just, like, went up on the wall instead, you know. Yeah, and then he got into base jumping and was just had some crazy close calls in base jumping, including this. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's, like, a viral video, but he's, like, basically he's, like, I'm sorry, Mom, and he, like, points down at his leg. And his leg is pretty much off, you know. It's hanging on by, like, a little bit of, like maybe like the main artery apparently because he didn't die that's yeah, super gnarly it was really bad and they sewed it back on and then he was you know he had this one bad leg he had had this one bad leg and he was always called the lcat pirate right and then he was like kind of limping around like a pirate and then he had another base jumping accident and i believe that he fractured his good leg and they i believe that it's his good leg that they cut off So now he's like, now he's down to one bad leg and still base jumping, still climbing. Um, But it was a bit of a sad kind of uh, final uh, chapter with him, you know, because he lost his leg um, base jumping. And then, um, yeah, I believe fell to his death, reconning um, a a base exit. And uh, yeah, it was a really, man, it was really sad. He was just one of the all-time characters. Talk about committed to climbing in a way that no one really is anymore
1: Well, he's committed to a kind of climbing that nobody is committed to either these days like there's no 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 hardcore aid climbers that that i know of anyway i don't know if you know differently but i think
2: there are some i think there are a handful of people who are still like getting up getting up there and doing some of the harder like a4 a5 routes on cap i think they are are out there but but not many of them Mm -hmm. and uh and definitely i don't think there's been one like Ammon that you know is going up and doing these like 40 and 50 hour pushes on El Cap like back to back to back, you know.
1: T- take us back now, to that time in in Yosemite. What was the culture like that kind of produced this um reverence for this kind of hard aid
2: climbing? Well, I mean, I think it was, you know, there was I think it comes back to that like to those rock that rock monkey kind of dirtbag culture that we lived in where there was a little bit of um we were really connected to the 80s and in the 80s obviously, you know, that was like a bit of a golden age, um, uh, the seventies and eighties. I, I don't know if you agree with this, Chris, but sort of a golden age for aid climbing maybe on El Cap. Certainly. And, yeah. And some of the, like the hardest, um, you know, and best, the hardest, best aid lines were going down, um, on El Cap. And so, you know, when we came in, I just, you know, there was just like all the kind of eighties bags, people like Bill Russell and, um, and then people like coming into the scene, God, it's going to, it's so hard for me to remember all these Steve Gerberdeen and to um, remember all these names now, um, but all these kind of legendary aid climber characters, but that was like sort of like you know what I mean. That was just considered a badass thing, and so if you came on the scene, you know, you're just like, oh yeah, like you know, or Eric Cole, you know, was on the scene, and that guy probably still to this day has put up some of the most dangerous aid climbs in Yosemite, and it was just like a, it was just sort of something that was sold as to you as like a path towards being a badass, I guess. You know what I mean? There was just a, it was celebrated. If you went and did one of these hard routes, you'd come down and people were like fucking. There was like glory in that and like celebration in that. I guess maybe some of that, like with the with more of a a disintegrated um, uh, climbing community, a little bit. Maybe that's getting celebrated less, and there's just less incentive to go up and risk your life on these aid climbs. I don't know. That's my theory.
1: That, I think that could be it. I think also with the shift toward free climbing, I mean, you just have to be you have to have your shit together a little bit better to be a, a high end free climber. Anyway, you can't be partying like 48 hours every day.
2: Um, yes. You know what I mean? Although like, I will say the Hubers, man, the Hubers knew how to party, dude. <laughs> you guys respect, respect is due. Cause they were like part of that whole, while well, we were all dirtbagging, the Hubers would show up, you know what I mean? With like their photographer and like, you know, and they would come and just like sort of be in the, be dirtbags in the dirtbag scene and, uh, come, you know, come back to camp four and get like, like blackout drunk and like, you know, run through the fire and like, you know, those guys, they're German, you know?
0: Yeah. They're Bavarians. Yeah. yeah. yeah they're Bavarian, specifically yeah. Bavarians. Yeah. yeah, they, yeah got, they got like jeans for partying yeah. for Based sure. They're Teutonic yeah, I, <laughs> yeah,
2: I respect that, you know? Teutonic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. If you can climb one letter grade, you know, harder, is it really worth like not having a good time? You know? Yeah. Something to ask yourself, you know, in life. You know? <laughs> Yeah. But, but yeah, that was, that was the scene that Ammon kind of grew up in and was inspired by. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, there was just a celebration of aid climbing during that time. And then Ammon was really a visionary in a sense where he, he was, he got so fast and efficient and he was so, so bold and so willing to just like put it on the edge and climb so quickly up these aid climbs that, you know, he was kind of made an art form out of it and, yeah he was always looking for a partner for the next uh for the next in a day or like in a push I'll cap route. and I was lucky to do a couple of those with him. I climbed the zodiac with the airman um and then probably our biggest epic oh, we did tangerine trip and then um probably our biggest epic was, epic was we climbed iron Hawk and I think it was like thirty eight hours on the go. yeah, I took a big old whipper on the crux pitch. Because Anna was like, you got to, like, learn how to aid climb, you know, and yeah, I was like, I put in, like, a, I, I put in, like, I was p- pounded in a knife blade, and I got on it, and then it came out, and I was, like, hanging by the very corner of a knife blade, and then I put in um, a, a cam hook, and then right at the freaking knife blade blew, and then I was hanging by two fingers, like, in this overhanging, like, wall from a cam hook, you know, just like,
3: ah,
2: and I just couldn't, like, reel it in, and then I pitched out of there and the cam hook just stayed like hooked up there in the wall. Yeah. It was, uh, a the middle of the night, you know, all dehydrated and scared and I had to go back up there. Yeah. It was, it was good times. Yeah. Hanging out with
0: Ammon. You you know, it's kind of interesting about that. And obviously I'm famous for the aid rant. Um, (laughs) and, but it's interesting that the, the, like these guys like Ammon, and you and, and you know, uh, Stanley and all these people who were doing such fast descents of these climbs, it was equal. It was like equal parts, like totally badass, but also like deflating some of the reputation of the roots themselves. You know what I mean? Like when they did the reticent wall, I don't know if Hammond was on that or not, but he was, um, it was him and Evo and yeah. Dean
2: Potter, actually, I think. And like.
0: Dean, yeah. And like... They did that in like thirty-seven hours, like supposedly the hardest route on El Cap, and and it was just fascinating that it was it was like a, this dichotomy of like aid climbing; these gnarliest routes are so heinous, but yet here's these guys that are just like firing up them. Yeah, yeah, almost like making them trivial. Was and I I feel like in a way, you know, we were just talking about like what happened to the aid climbing era. I think it was partially that too. Like it kind of yes, smashed yeah. the mythology around some of these climbs as being like as gnarly as all that. Yeah. And then
2: more and more routes
0: went free. And then it's like, and
2: then also it is like, you know, like free climbing El Cap, you know, is still one of the coolest things I've ever done. And it's a totally different experience. And, but both are super valid. And, you know, there's Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. cool thing about El Cap is it can take you to places where you will never free climb. And, uh, and, and you get an experience rock. That's just so, that's so steep and so outrageous that it'll never be free climbed. You know, it's just like this little hairline seam that goes up this like blank overhanging face and like putting yourself in that position is a really cool experience and, and it's certainly a really cool part of climbing. A lot of people don't get a experience and and then it does like if you, you know, for traditional climbing, man, it's a really great thing to have uh, in your background because it's just, mm-hmm. you know, a master class in, in rigging and in gear management and gear placement and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, yeah, you know, make make aid climbing badass again.
1: Is there some technique or tip that you, that, uh, Ammon taught you that comes to mind as like something that he imparted and gave you as a tool for your toolkit going forward? Did you learn something from him that you kind of associate um, with, with, his, well. with his, uh, his approach to climbing?
2: Well, yeah, but I think one of the, I mean, one of the practical things I learned was, you know, was at the time we were, we were short fixing, you know, was a big game changer in how we were, we were doing these. And so Emma was the first person I ever like short fixed with on Mm -hmm. the Zodiac. And it was a, it was a game changer and it's it's such a simple thing, but it's basically where you, you pull, you pull up all the extra rope and tie it in and then you're soloing, you're solo aiding the next pitch while they clean the pitch below you. And so you can create pretty simultaneous uh climbing movement that way. Mm-hmm. And uh so I, I learned that from Ammon and then Yeah, I just learned how to be bold from Ammon, you know, um, with aid climbing and with just like your approach to things and uh and just your, you know, learning to be comfortable in such an extreme environment. Um I learned that from Ammon. Yeah. And uh man, he was just such a he was such a loving like like brother of a human, you know. He he really cared about everyone around him and really treated, um, people with so much kindness and love and, uh, and was just such a well-loved, um, character in the climbing community. And, um, and really was this kind of like in the, you know, the, the era of like kind of very serious climbing athletes who are like, you know, weighing their protein powder and, you know what I mean? Going to sleep at 8 PM and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Ammon is definitely like this whole other element of the sport that is valid and definitely more uh entertaining and fun to be around <laughs> he was just a fucking ledge you know yeah yeah i love that guy so much it's really sad yeah when you guys when you reached out to me and wanted to talk about Am, and i just honestly wasn't ready to talk about it you know because yeah. um, i loved him so much and and it was just such a, a shitty loss and an unfortunate loss that i've been through a, a lot in this community and a lot of the um you know those characters that i loved and um came up with and um, who are my um, peers and, and mentors are are gone now, you know? And, uh, you know, Dean Potter, man, was like one of my, like, kind of heroes slash mentors slash peers in the climbing scene, you know, uh, growing up in that whole, that dirtbag time. And uh, yeah, it was real hard to watch him go and, you know, Jose Pereira and Erica Kutcher and um, unfortunately, the list the list goes on and on of these um, amazing characters who um, burned super super bright and uh, are no longer with us. And Ammon has added that list. Brad, Brad Gobright, yeah, sad to see them go, but I'm glad that I wrote that article about Ammon. It's worth a read. Because do, do feel like it captures the spirit and and uh, makes me happy that that sort of lives on, even if things were embellished a, a little bit? You know,
1: <laughs> no good story is good with that embellishment. <laughs> so you've got this dirtbag fund people is it are the applications still open people can still apply to it um
2: yeah and- i would say that um ap- applications are permanently um open for the dirtbag fund um you know um especially if you can make an impression um if you could tell your story be good at storytelling um you know then i'll i'm happy to take uh that type of application anytime um and uh and then you know it looks like we have momentum i may even have a benefactor um so i think that the money is going to keep hopefully streaming and it would be amazing if this could be something that's not just like a a flash in the pan but um something that we could see um you know 20 years from now um still still going grants still being handed out and um yeah the dirt bag still being celebrated and um, yeah, just young climbers out there still scrapping by on next to nothing because climbing is rad and it's worth committing to, um, at some point in your life. And so that's, that's the dirt bag fund, uh, coming, uh, to a, a crag near you. <laughs> um,
1: like, can I give money to it? Like how does it, can anyone just, yeah, like, yeah, it? I just,
2: I've got a, a, yeah. If if you want to donate it, just, um, go to my website or, um, right now the link's up on my Instagram. Okay. But yeah, just click right, on the we'll, dirt bag phone, uh, tab on my website.
1: Cool, we'll play. And all uh, that. you
2: can donate. Just, just, just you know, just know that it's not. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you can write it off as a charitable donation right. Um, because right now this is it's not a nonprofit. Just because you know it may become one in the future if I can get my shit together to that level. But um, right. right now I was. just – Are we gonna
0: have like some huge scandal where we're like <laughs> all of a sudden you're driving a Lamborghini and we're like, what the fuck <laughs> happened to the? <laughs> to the dirt bag fund. It's like Homie's years. got this like built this like new built out sprinter like from yeah. nowhere. <laughs> no.
2: No,
3: I, I, I do I, I do have to
2: figure out some of that like the accountability and the and making sure that um yeah that there's a lot of transparent transparency with what I'm doing, which is why, you know, I think it's important to to mention that, but um no, but right now I'm not taking a single dime. This is all going right back to the dirt bags. And, uh, you know, I'll just do another Instagram post if I need money, you know, I'm like pretty privileged in my life. (laughs) As Long as that continues to be so then, um, you know, I can continue to, uh, spread the dirtbag love. (laughs) Yeah.
0: <laughs> just know that like when, when Cedar does the, the yeah. ad for, you know, a erectile dysfunction cream, it, it was all about the Durbeck fun. It has nothing to do with that. What's happening in his personal
2: life. Yeah, so I got to fill up the fun. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, that's what I always fill up with Exxon. <laughs> Man, Cedar's really gone to the dark side with these, these corporate promotions. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes, you know. It's going to be an adventure, though. (laughs) Classic.
0: As we all know, climbers like us travel into the mountains for the journey and the sense of quietude that comes with high and wild places. But what if your casual free solo of a 10,000-foot pace turned into a little bit of this? On the latest bonus episode of The Runout, we sit down for another movie night and review the semi-thriller, semi-slasher B-movie from 2021, The Ledge, in all its idiotic glory. If you'd like to hear that, or all the previous bonus episodes, or contribute something to The Runout yourself like a final bit or a buddy spray, or maybe you just want to throw a little money at two dudes that make you chuckle and keep you informed of all the hot topics in climbing, Go to patreon.com slash runout podcast and become a rope gun today. That's patreon.com slash runout podcast to support the runout. And frankly, if you don't, we will find you, and it's going to sound something like this
1: Drop it, drop it. Go! Oh.
0: On today's final bit, we throw it back to our old friend Chris Parker. Chris is a climber, father, musician, and content manager at Black Diamond. Before BD, Chris was a fellow editor at Rock and Ice with Andrew, and my roommate and bandmate in Carbondale, Colorado. I'm sure Chris doesn't even remember stretching it out on Zeppelin's Ramble On for this boozy living room jam circa 2013. You can tune into Chris's incredible original music by following Christopher Parker on Spotify. Uh,
3: one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> Falling all around This time I was on my way Thanks to you I'm much obliged For such a pleasant stay Now it's time for me to go The autumn moon lights my way now I smell the rain With the pain And it's in my way Oh sometimes I grow so tired Oh I know I got one thing I got to do And now's the time And the time is now I sing my song I'll go around the world, I gotta find my girl on my way I've been this way for years to today I gotta ramble on I gotta find the queen of my dreams Got no time to spin room Time has come to be gone. No, I hope we drink a thousand times. Stand the time to ramble on. Rail on! Now's the time, the time is now. Sing my song. i go around the world, I gotta find my girl on my way. I've been this way for years, to and i Gotta rail on. I gotta find the queen of my dreams. Mine's a tale and can't be told. My freedom, my own, here and Now years ago in the days of old, imagine the yeah. air. Just in the darkest depths of night, and I met a girl so fair. But call him an evil one Crapped up and slipped away with her oh, yeah But I know I got one thing I got to do, yeah Yeah, I guess I'll keep on rambling Oh, I sing my song Go around the world, gonna find my girl on my way. And I sway with me ass to the gotta on. Do, 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 oh, oh, oh. The time is now Sing my soul Go around the world Gotta find my girl On my way Been this way I'm here and now Gotta wear my girl Do-do-do-do-do
1: just finished another episode of the run out podcast i'm andrew Bisharat, and you can reach me at andrew at
0: runoutpodcast.com and i'm chris kaluse and you can reach me at andrew at runoutpodcast.com <laughs> dude come on <laughs> because chris at runoutpodcast.com is where emails go to die that's true
1: we also have a patreon that you can support our show at and it's runoutpodcast.patreon.runoutpodcast.com
0: no no, no It's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Yes. (laughs) If you dream of sending 514 every month for the rest of your life, (laughs) you should go and sign up at patreon slash (laughs) runoutpodcast.com. No, puck.com slash runoutpodcast. Something like that. Give us some money.